This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, all episodes are currently available completely ad-free on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. Just follow the link in our show notes. You're guaranteed to find your new favourite true crime listen. From con men to missing people, forensic investigations to miscarriages of justice, What's the Story Crime is the home for all true crime fans who want bingeable, addictive, crime-based content. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. The Missing is produced by What's the Story Sounds. They also make lots of other great content, which I think you might like. Why not sign up for What's the Story Crime? On there, you'll find series including The Missing completely ad-free, as well as bonus content and even entire series you can't hear elsewhere. Signing up is super easy Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime. In this episode, we tell the story of Andrew Capon, a 37-year-old father of three from Grantham, who disappeared during a night out in Skegness, Lincolnshire, on the 2nd of October, 1998. Over 23 years later, the loved ones he left behind are still searching for the answers. I still need to know for myself, as well as the kids, and for his family, what has happened if he is alive, if he's dead, so that we can all grieve for him. I'm Pandora Sykes, and you're listening to The Missing, a podcast series brought to you with support from the charity Missing People and investigation specialists Locate International. They believe that all of the cases in this series could still be solved. 
This is The Missing. Andrew Capon. Andrew and his wife, Sue, grew up in Grantham, Lincolnshire, on opposite sides of the same cul-de-sac of Hamilton Road. We both went to the same school and I met him when I was about 16. Andrew was tall, standing at six foot two, with blue eyes and brown hair, pierced ears and tattoos on both arms. He was three years older than Sue, so their paths didn't cross in any meaningful way at school. However, their parents knew each other and the pair were eventually introduced through Andrew's mother Margaret at a New Year's Eve party in the Capon family home. His mum used to make uh, like rag dolls and the place where I worked, I started taking some to work and uh, people were interested in them and I started selling them for her. So we sort of got together through that really. Andrew was Sue's first serious boyfriend. After dating for around a year and a half, they got married in 1982, just two days shy of Sue's 18th birthday. I had to get written permission from my mum and dad to be able to get married. Sue and Andrew moved into a place of their own on Cambridge Street, about ten minutes away by car from the cul-de-sac where they'd met and their parents still lived. After leaving school, Andrew began working at the nearby McCain's chip factory, alongside his father, an electrician. Sue found work as a trainee sewing machinist, a job she eventually left after the two started a family. Their first child, Tessa, arrived about a year into the marriage and was followed by Kimberly a year and a half later, and then Adam another year and a half after that. He was, I can't fault him as being a dad. He was brilliant with the kids. He'd come home, uh, would have a bit of tea, He'd um, help put kids to bed, he'd bath them and that. Sue has plenty of fond memories of the early years of her and Andrew's married life together. Andrew was funny, he loved to laugh. He was a keen fisherman and loved playing football. He was always up for a game of darts or some snooker down the pub. He and Sue would take the kids for picnics. They'd go on trips. And one year they spent a memorable week abroad in Mallorca. Whilst things seemed idyllic on the surface, the family faced their fair share of hardship. In 1984, Andrew lost his job at the chip factory and the family struggled financially, living off benefits. Making ends meet was a serious challenge and their home ended up being repossessed. They were eventually rehoused by the council at the nearby Earlsfield estate. Sue knew that Andrew was wrestling with depression which would often cause him to retreat into himself. He could become distant and withdrawn for long periods. Andrew eventually found a new job in a steel factory and their financial situation stabilised. The next few years passed by without major incident. In 1993, he went out to Germany to work. His cousin had got a window fitting business and he went out there to work for him. And I think that's when everything started to go downhill with us. Andrew making a move to Germany was a big change for the family, one that involved leaving Sue behind to look after three young children on her own. They had a lengthy discussion about it, 
and ultimately decided that it made sense financially. Andrew would be able to earn decent money in the short term and he'd come back to see his family when he could. Sue could also see how a change of scenery might help his mental well-being. Working with his cousin Tim, Andrew fitted windows in commercial properties, starting off in Cologne, then Leipzig and eventually Berlin. He'd go out there for, I think it was about three weeks at a time, then he'd come back for a week and then he'd go back out there again. However, after going back to Germany following his first return trip to Grantham, Andrew fell completely off the radar. He stopped calling and was uncontactable for months throughout the latter half of 1993. Sue was at a complete loss. We didn't hear anything from him. Uh, I think even his mum couldn't get in touch with him. And it was finally through his cousin that they managed to get any contact with him. It emerged that just three days after making the move to Germany, Andrew had met a woman named Kirsten and had begun an affair. They quickly moved in together. Andrew's mum had gotten the news out of him over the phone and she told Sue, who was naturally devastated. I didn't want him out there, but he won't get in touch, he won't speak to us. That's when I said, right, are you not you're not going to come back, then that's it. Andrew brought Kirsten over to the UK for a visit in November of that year. Sue and Kirsten never crossed paths, but during a visit to Andrew's mother's house around this time, another bombshell was dropped on Sue. That's when I found out about the baby. Kirsten was pregnant. Andrew initially denied that he was the father, but further down the line, Police reports showed that he disclosed that he was to his GP. Andrew continued to have little to no contact with his family. He wasn't speaking to Sue. They eventually met in December of that year, when Andrew returned home again for his sister's 21st birthday. Sue had brought the children to Andrew's mother's house so they could see their father. Sue arranged for divorce papers to be served to him at the front door, but things didn't go quite that way. As it turned out, things had already ended between Andrew and Kirsten. We talked and that, and decided we'd, we'd have another go at it because of the kids. And I told him if that was the case, he'd got to finish out there. He went back out there for a month just to clear everything up. And he came back in the end of January and we got back together then. Andrew came back to the UK and he recommitted himself to his wife and children. Sue and Andrew never discussed Kirsten or the child that Andrew had fathered with her. He returned to his job in the steel factory and the family moved to a new house in a village called Castle Bytham, just outside Grantham. All three of the children were now attending school which allowed Sue to return to work, this time on the counter at a bakery in Stanford. Things seemed fine to start off with. They were really trying hard, especially because of the kids. Sue and Andrew seemed to be back on track. Andrew still had his issues with depression, but he did make some effort to address the problem, visiting his GP. His doctor wanted him to go and get counselling, 
which Andrew never followed through with in the end. Then one day, four years later, towards the end of September 1998, Sue and Andrew had a row. He turned around and he said, I'm going to go back out to Germany. And then the alarm bell started ringing. Was that what he was going to, he was planning all along, going out to find her? After the argument, it seemed to settle down again and everything seemed all right again. I think it was just a spur of the moment thing that he'd said it. On the 2nd of October 1998, a Friday, Andrew drove the 50-odd miles to Waterside Leisure Holiday Park in Inglemels with three friends. The stated purpose of the excursion was for Andrew to secure the family caravan for the winter and enjoy a night out in nearby Skegness with some pals while he was at it. We'd got a caravan down there and was going to shut it down for the end of season. Plus we was on about selling it uh, back to site. Site fees were getting a bit too much for us at the time. The caravan park in Inglemels was the preferred holiday destination for Andrew, Sue and their children. Sue's parents even had a caravan of their own on the same site, as did Andrew's. Andrew was joined on the trip by his friends Steve, Brian and Peter. Andrew had known Steve for a number of years. They played football together quite a bit and Steve had worked out in Germany as well with them. Brian and Peter were newer acquaintances, whom Andrew hadn't met until he began working at the steel factory. They planned to have a night out in Skegness and to return the following day. Andrew wasn't normally one for lads' trips, so the decision to make a trip with the other three was initially a surprise to Sue. He never sort of did these sort of things where he'd go off with the lads on a weekend away or anything. They drove down that Friday in Steve's car. Another thing which gave Sue pause. Now, if you were shutting your caravan down, you would surely have gone in your own car to bring stuff back out the caravan the same day, well, the next day. But they didn't. They all went in Steve's car, which... I don't know, it just, that doesn't seem right to me. The morning of October the 2nd, Andrew dropped his children, Tessa, Kimberly and Adam, off at school. He then drove to his parents' house and was collected by Steve and the rest of the group. They made the drive down to Inglemels on Friday afternoon, sometime between 3 and 4pm. The plan was to sort out Andrew's caravan, head out for a few drinks and then be back home on Saturday afternoon. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Alarm bells were first raised about Andrew's whereabouts on the afternoon of Saturday, October the 3rd, when he didn't appear at the bakery as scheduled to collect Sue from work. Sue phoned home after he'd failed to show. Her neighbours had been keeping an eye on the children, but Andrew wasn't at the family home either. His parents had phoned the house already at that point, also wondering if Andrew was there, as he hadn't turned up that afternoon as planned to collect his car. Kimberly went and asked the neighbour if her husband could come and fetch me from work, which he did. And as soon as I got home, I rung his mum up to see what was going off, and she said that he hadn't shown up. Nobody had seen him since the early hours of the morning. Andrew didn't own a mobile phone, so Sue wasn't able to call him directly. Earlier that day, between two and three o'clock, Steve had driven to Andrew's mother's house to check if Andrew had made it home. He told Andrew's mother that her son hadn't rejoined the group at the caravan after their night out. Sue left her children with Andrew's mother and travelling with Andrew's dad, made the journey to the caravan site in Inglemales to search for any signs of Andrew. They arrived there on Saturday evening, hoping to find Andrew a little worse for wear in the caravan. But he was nowhere to be seen. Steve come down on the Sunday to the caravan site and he took me round some of the pubs that they'd been to that night with a photo of him to see if anybody could recollect seeing him. But we didn't have any luck, nobody sort of knew him knew his face or anything. Though Andrew was reported missing on Sunday the 4th, Sue feels that the police didn't prioritise the case straight away. They logged it first first time. And then, as I say, we went back down and um, we made the official report. And that's when he was officially made a missing person. Now, if they took it serious the week before, things might hopefully have turned out a bit different to what they have now. It's a question Sue asks herself regularly and ultimately is what led her to file a complaint against Lincolnshire Police for what she views as their mishandling of the investigation. Eventually, the story of how the Friday night leading up to Andrew's disappearance unfolded began to take shape. The group of four had spent the evening bar hopping in Skegness, starting at around 7pm. The last place they went for a drink in was Street's nightclub complex in Skeggy. That were on the late Friday night into Saturday morning. A heated argument had kicked off amongst them, supposedly over who was to pay for a round of drinks. The venue's security wanted to head off a physical altercation at the pass, and Andrew, who it seemed instigated the argument, and the rest of the group, were ejected from the venue. So the bouncers sort of grabbed him, dragged him out, and put him on the pavement out in the street. CCTV footage, taken from outside the nightclub, showed Andrew being thrown to the ground outside by four members of security shortly after 1am. 
Brian tried to help him up off the floor and apparently Andy tried to push him and Brian fell back onto the road or something. And then they said they were going for a drink up in um, Skegness, in the main part of Skeggy. But Steve and Pete said they weren't, they weren't bothered, they would go back to the caravan. The group split into two. Steve and Pete got a taxi back to a chip shop near the campsite and walked the rest of the way. Upon arriving, they realised they didn't have a key to the caravan. In their inebriated state, they decided that the best course of action would be to break open a window to gain access. They climbed in and promptly fell asleep. Andy was last seen on the CCTV footage walking towards what is cl- it's called a clock tower and it's on a roundabout in the centre of Skeg. Um, you turn left, you can go down towards the beach, turn right, you can go up into the main part of town. And he was heading towards that. He was last seen crossing a road called Scarborough Avenue, and that is opposite where the pier were or is. And you see Brian um, running after him and catching him up on that corner. CCTV shows Brian a short while later at a cash machine on the corner of Rutland Road, around the corner from Scarborough Avenue, where he took out money before hailing a taxi. Brian got a taxi back to Grantham shortly after that, and that's been verified by the taxi driver. And he said he he nearly didn't take him because Brian had dropped his money on the floor and he was struggling to pick it up. He did eventually take him back, um, which is about 70 miles away from Skegness. So it cost a fair bit. But Brian can't remember what actually happened from him catching Andy up to actually getting the taxi. So after a night of painting the town red, the group was scattered. Steve and Pete had retired to the caravan. Brian had opted for an expensive taxi ride home. But where did that leave Andrew? One of Sue's first instincts was Germany. She thought back to Andrew's exclamation about returning not even a week before he'd gone missing. Had he decided to go back to Kirsten after all? When I look back at it, I sometimes think, well, had he actually planned it? Andrew would have needed cash and identification to travel overseas. But both his wallet and passport were found in the caravan on the morning of October the 3rd. He hadn't even brought them out with him to Skegness the previous night. Interpol later reached out to Kirsten, who said that she had not seen Andrew since he left Germany to return to be with his family in the UK in 1994. The theory that Lincolnshire police seemed to settle on was that Andrew had most likely drowned in the sea, which was only a couple of minutes walking distance from where he was last spotted on CCTV. Sue doesn't believe that the police have enough evidence to support this theory. There was no footage, CCTV footage, to show that he ever went near the sea that night. It was beginning of October. You'd still have people walking along the beach, even that time of night. A search was initiated beginning on October the 10th, 
a full week after Andrew had first gone missing. Police scuba divers known as frogmen were deployed to search the various waterways near to where Andrew had been spotted. The coastline between Skegmess and Inglemels was searched also, though a request for an RAF helicopter with thermal imaging technology was declined due to the fact that Andrew had already been missing for some time. Between his tattoos and the fact that he was missing the middle finger from his left hand, the result of a work injury, Andrew's identity would have been simple to confirm in the event that a body was found. They searched the lakes on the caravan site, and there's a couple just around the site as well, they searched them. But was regarding anything else, I think they made the, the normal inquiries at the pubs and the clubs and everything, got the footage from the CCTV cameras. Given Andrew's history with depression, suicide was also discussed as a possible reason for his disappearance, but Sue doesn't believe that Andrew would hurt himself intentionally. And what about the fight in the pub? The footage from outside showed some pushing and shoving going on between Brian and Andrew. But the two of them continued on together, without Steve and Pete, with the initial intention of finding somewhere else to drink. The police questioned Steve, Brian and Peter extensively about their movements on the night of Andrew's disappearance, and they were satisfied that their stories checked out. Could Andrew have hit his head at some point whilst being removed from the nightclub and have wandered off dazed? Sue and the children relocated to Andrew's parents' house while the search continued in earnest, and they ended up living there for about six weeks. Tragically, Andrew's father died 10 days after Andrew went missing, compounding the family's grief. They said it was heart problem that he didn't know he'd got, and he was only 57. He was the same age as what I am now. Um, he'd gone into his living room, sat in chair, and that rip never come back, well, he never woke up. Andrew's mother, Margaret, was devastated. The emotional burden of losing her husband on top of coping with the disappearance of her son was almost too much to bear. Sue made appeals to the media to draw attention to Andrew's case, and a substantial poster campaign was carried out across Skegness and Ingermells. The family made the decision to make Andrew's father's death public. We made that public because we thought that, if anything, that would bring him back if he was still about. If you see that on the news or something, it would bring him round to coming back home. Andrew's disappearance had a big impact on his children and on his daughter, Tessa, in particular, who was 15 when he vanished. I think Tessa said that they'd had an argument once when she was at school and um, the next day her dad went missing and I think that's what she can't get over. Um, she blames herself that he went missing. There were a few reported sightings of Andrew over the years, but nothing that turned into a credible lead of any kind. I was struggling quite a lot back, at, back in Grantham and I said to my mum, I'd laid there in bed at night, it just felt like somebody was pinning me to the bed. And I says to my mum, if I don't get out and make a break, I says, I'm, I'm going to end up doing something stupid. I says, and that's not what my kids need. 
So I moved out of town, moved over to Chesterfield. Tess had moved up here by then. She was pregnant at the time, so she said, why don't you come up here, Mum? And that's what I did. Sue remarried in 2009 to her current partner, Julian, and she's been working as a healthcare assistant for 11 years. But before she and Julian could go ahead with the wedding, she had to officially separate from Andrew, who at this point had been missing for over a decade. At the time, I wondered whether the... They presumed him dead after so many years. Um, I asked the police this and they said no. Um, so I I divorced on the grounds of desertion, that he'd deserted me and his kids, which, in a sense, I know it sounds awful, but he has. But I still want to know what has happened to him. Andrew's mother, Margaret, passed away in 2018 without ever learning what happened to her son. Sue's daughter, Tessa, who is now older than her father was when he went missing, has done her own fair share of campaigning for information about him. While Sue has built a new life for herself, she has never been able to completely let go of Andrew and is desperate for any information that could bring her and her family closure. I still need to know um, if he's alive or if he's dead. It was a big part of my life. We was married 16 years, so... And I'd known him since the age of 16. So I still need to know for myself as well as the kids and for his family what has happened, um, if he is alive, if he's dead, so that we can all grieve for him. My husband now, he knows everything. He's, he's brilliant about it. He understands that we all need them, them answers um, to be able to lay it all to rest, really. In many cases, it takes just one piece of information to lead police or family to the answers they crave. If you know what happened to Andrew, or you remember seeing someone like him on October the 2nd, 1998, your information could be vital. Even if you've never heard of Andrew Capon before listening to this episode, you could still help. We've put the details of this case on our website, www.themissingpodcast.org. We've posted the age-progressed image of how Andrew might look now. On there, you'll find images and details, not just for this case, but for every case we featured on the show. There's also links where you can share vital information on these cases with the experts at Locate International. They've set up a team to investigate these cases and explore any information that comes in. And you'll find more information about the charity Missing People, who work tirelessly to support the families of the missing. The Missing is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Pandora Sykes. The episodes are produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. The executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis. Hold up. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, you can listen to them exclusively on What's the Story Crime. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.com what's the story sounds.com forward slash crime.